you have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single-family homes up and down the East Coast. Ken also has owned his own construction company for over 30 years. And now, Ken the Contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt, along with Ken the Contractor, and every weekend at this time, we're right here answering questions about your home inside or out. If you have a question for Ken the Contractor, you can always reach him at 1-800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or, of course, you can post your questions to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. Folks, it's real estate buying season, and not only are we buying primary residents, we might be moving from one side of town to the other or from one side of the country to the other, but we're also looking at those vacation homes. At least many of you are out there. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the issues going on in the vacation home market today and things that you need to be aware of if you are looking, whether it's your first one or your third one or your fifth one. It doesn't matter. The world is a changed place today when it comes to finance, availability, cost, maintenance, all of those items that are important for you to know about. So let's talk a little bit about second or vacation homes. And for some of the some of you out there, it is not necessarily a vacation home, but maybe you have a job that takes you to different parts of the country and you spend part of the year in one location, part of the year in another location. Really doesn't matter what it's for, some of the guidelines should be looked at in the same way. But with that, I want you first to think, are you buying, are you looking for truly a vacation home or a second home for you and your family? Or are you looking for a retirement home, if you're nearing retirement age, saying, I'll use it short term for a second home, but in five years, seven years, ten years, I'm going to retire there? Or are you using it for a business investment, meaning that you're using it during your work, but there may be six months out of the year that you're going to turn around and lease that on a regular basis? All of these things that I've just asked you to think about have some bearing, one, on the interest rates you're going to get, the availability of financing to you, the type of property you should be buying, the location that it's in, and perhaps even the maintenance that you're going to have to spend on this. So sit down with your notepad, take a couple of notes, or come back later and visit the website, KenTheContractor.com, and you can pick all this up at a later date. But one of the big items that I would look at, and I have owned vacation properties, is is it truly a vacation home? Are you using it for yourself, you and your spouse, or do you have young kids? You've got family members that will be using this interchangeably. Is it a group purchase? First, if it's a vacation home, you're going to find it as a second home that not only the availability of financing, but the interest rates that are available are completely different from your primary residence. You will find many lenders today, regardless of your financial wherewithal, that will not write mortgages for second homes, even though the mortgage world's getting to be a little better than we have seen in the last two or three years. Those that will write it are going to find that you may pay one to one and a half, maybe even two points more percentage points on your interest rate than your primary residence because they see this a little differently. They see a greater risk. They also see this as not being perhaps maintained as well in some cases as your primary residence. There are reasons that these interest rates are higher. So don't expect to be pulling in a 4% fixed 30-year rate, in most cases, on a second home. If you're going to use this strictly as an investment property and occasionally use it as 
a, say, a getaway, a summer vacation home, something to that effect, then you're also going to find those interest rates likewise are much higher. One of the other things that track with interest rates will be insurance rates. And if you have never experienced this, I suggest you put a call into your insurance company. A second home or an investment property will not be insured at the same rate, even if the value is identical to your primary residence. And that's because the key word there is primary. It is not your primary residence. You're going to pay a premium for this. If the home is in a rental pool and it's being rented out on a regular basis, so it's occupied more often, you're still going to pay a premium. So I want you to factor that in when you think about your overall cost. Not only will your interest rates be higher in most cases, but your insurance rates will also be higher. Next, you want to take a look at whether or not you're going to be renting this, and you want to consult with a CPA or an accountant, because if this is an investment property, then you may not be able to expense some of the interest that you do on your primary residence. That could play a role in how you see your bottom line and whether this is a good venture for you or not. And I think you need to be realistic, too, about what you're purchasing. This is still a buyer's market in most of the country. And vacation or second homes can be a real bargain compared to what they were five, six years ago. But at the same time, if you're buying a bargain, it's a condo, you're in a subdivision, you're in a development, a townhome, whatever it may be, a beachfront property, you need to ask additional questions. Because of changes in the economy and the way many of these developments have either been maintained or homeowners associations that have depleted their financial resources because of defaults and so forth, you may find that you're buying something that immediately has this huge demand for additional money. I want you to ask those questions depending on where you're moving. And this has nothing to do with whether it's a summer home or whether it's investment property. Just be aware of what's going on around you. Next, this is so important. I've experienced some issues in the region that I live in with transitional folks where there are times of the year that vacation homes becomes a party environment and other times that it's what you would want when you leave the big city perhaps to just get away and be kick back and relax a little bit. You want to know what's going on from a seasonal standpoint. This, don't just buy something blindly because there could be times if it's a mountain resort subject to, and you have ski areas or a beach area that has constant traffic in the summertime. Are you in the middle of things you don't want to be in when you're trying to relax or bring the family and just enjoy an outing overall? Ask those questions if you're not that familiar with the particular environment that you're being enticed to come and buy. And the best way you can do this in my book is consult with a professional, licensed real estate uh, person in that area that knows the market, that lives there, that knows what goes on 12 months out of the year, and they know the value today, they know the value a few years ago, and what you might anticipate for resale down the the road. And I think the last item that I want you to be aware of is don't go and buy something that you can't access if it's a vacation home. You want to look at the radius or the travel distance from the home, how you get there. If you've got your own airplane, it might be a different story, but most people I know don't. So if you've got to get in the car and drive or take public transportation, you want to be sure that it's something that you can really use. And with that, factor in that as part of your overall cost, the travel to get back and forth there, your interest, your insurance, the maintenance, the condo fees, if it's a condominium, yard maintenance when you're not there, trash, electric, all those things add up because, folks, it's just as pricey in many cases, more pricey than occupying your primary dwelling. I think the one common mistake that people make, and it's kind of like kids with new toys, when it's brand new, everything is fantastic. 
Now you get a couple years into the process and your life changes. Kids either get older or the kids aren't there anymore. And now suddenly it can become a burden. You've got to find a way to rent it to generate some income to make payments or different things along that line. Or there's maintenance or you have issues with the people that you rent it out to. Uh, and I think you make a, a very, very important point, particularly in this day and age, because the one thing that lenders don't want to be left with are properties. Exactly. Exactly. They're tired of that. They've got enough of that. They're in the business to put money out on the street and make money off of it, not to own real estate. So all of those things you just mentioned are are valid for everybody to consider. My wife and I have owned beachfront properties when our kids were younger. We just had to watch how it's being used. And did we really use it? Make sure it's something that makes sense for you, not only now, but also in the long run. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. You can always reach him at 800-614-2975, or you can post comments to his website, and that website is KenTheContractor.com. Do you have questions about your home, inside or out? KenTheContractor.com is all you need to know. I'm Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. Visit KenTheContractor.com for answers to plumbing, fencing, electrical, roofing, painting, heating, fireplaces, decks, and much more. Submit your questions or call anytime. Remember, KenTheContractor.com, where folks come for professional answers. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. And if he can help you with a project around your house, just give us a call, 800-614-2975. Or you can reach Ken through his website, KenTheContractor.com. But let's go to the phones right now. And it's Donna who joins us. Hi, Donna. You're on the air with Ken. Well, hi, Ken. Um, about a year ago, last summer, in fact, I heard you uh, tell somebody that needed to cool down a room where their air conditioning uh, didn't seem to reach into it, about solar blinds, and nobody knows what we're talking about. So I want to know, what are they made out of, or who distributes them, and are they hard to install? Well, there are two different types that I've installed professionally, and, and typically you're going to find these sold, I think, in the region you're in by window tinting companies, as opposed to companies that sell draperies and blinds. It's going to be companies that do window tinting, and they'll still come out. I've had them do it on commercial jobs, and they'll tint large windows, let's say, in a waiting room in a doctor's office with a lot of sun exposure. They don't want blinds in place. They want to, they want that vision, that light inside and out, but they don't want the heat. Mm-hmm. So it's a window tinting product, and it is the same product that is made in a roller shade form. So you have a couple of options. One, you can have it actually applied to the glass, which to me in a residence, I would prefer not to do, or you can be made into a roll-up shade, just the old-style shade that sits on a spring coil that mounts at the head of your windows, and you mm-hmm. raise or lower. And they are extremely effective. I've had them in my offices in the past. We've installed them in professional centers and in homes, but they're not commonly sold. You are not going to go into one of your big box or hardware stores, and you're not going to find them sitting there because right. it is a specialty product. So check in your region for companies that do window tinting, and these are different from the companies that do automobile glass tinting, but it is a similar product to that. Okay, because I had, uh, in when I lived in Florida, we had uh, put the tinting on, but it, what it was was we, uh, you know, we applied it ourselves, right, to the window? Yes. But what we had gotten uh, was, uh, uh, it was like you, uh, let's see, in the daytime you could look out, nobody could look in. But at night, it was like tinfoil over your window, and you couldn't look out, and everybody could look in. And I thought, 
I don't want that. Yeah, that's a problem that a lot of people don't envision with this, is you put the materials up in the daytime, especially if you purchase one that has that's a reflective surface on the outside. Mm-hmm. Even if it has a full reflective surface, in the daylight, nobody can see in. But once you turn that light on on the inside, the light level has shifted from inside to out. It's just the opposite. And uh, I, I've gone through this with people in office buildings and multi-story office buildings just saying, this is great. Nobody can see in the daytime. Yeah, but at night, you know, they're going to watch absolutely everything, so you better be on your best behavior. Right. So uh, uh, now uh, what you're talking about, uh, it does, uh, hopefully it doesn't work that way. Well, no, it will. So this is strictly for heat gain purposes. It's not the type of shade you're going to put in place to block out vision at nighttime if this is in your bedroom or bathroom or, or some other private area. So, but you're only using it for heat gain. The reason I like using the pull-up shade is because in the winter months, you don't lose the solar gain that you probably want to have in that room because right. you allow the sun to heat that room in the wintertime. But in the summertime, that room's extremely hot. You want to get rid of that heat. Well, see, so, my problem is we were thinking about putting, that's why I waited so long to call, we were thinking about putting Central in here. I've got a house that was built in 1935. It's a two-story. Okay. And they want, you know, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars $16,000 to put the uh, Central in. We can't, we don't want to go that kind of, you know, and then it's going to be hard. Because we're going to need two units because we've, you know, one in the attic for upstairs. Right, well, your multi-story, sure. And I figured that the solar shades might be a cheaper solution and just put them all over the house. Well, I mean, at least upstairs. Yeah, my suggestion to you is to see how well this works for you. Take the warmest room, the one with the greatest amount of solar gain in the summer, and you know the sun's positioned differently in the summer than it is in the winter. Right. So I'd take the room that is the hottest in the summer or maybe a couple of those rooms and invest in these solar shades that you that are retractable so you can roll them up in the wintertime and see what you think about that. You will find a noticeable difference in the heat of that room. Now, it's not going to cool the room. What it's going to do is reduce the amount of solar energy that comes into that room. Right, and I've got a whole house fan, and that helps, too. Yeah, that should help you balance the air anyway from one floor to the next and and from corner to corner because uh, that's what most of us uh, of any age grew up with was the whole house fan. You turn that on, you open the windows, and you have at least a balanced temperature. Right. But I would try that in a few rooms before you go out and invest in the whole house and see how you like it. But my experience has been just a huge difference in a room with the solar shade pulled down. Well, great. Hey, thank you, Ken, for your help. I appreciate it. I appreciate your call, and thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Thank you, Donna. We do appreciate your call. If you'd like to reach Ken, our contact number is 1-800-614-2975. We've got another call right now, and this time it is Jim who joins us. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Ken, I have a crack in my patio uh, concrete. It's a fairly long crack. It's not a big crack, but it shows up quite a bit. Do I have to chisel that out to repair it correctly, or is there a compound that you can use in small cracks? How how wide? When you say small crack, give me some idea of how wide oh, this crack is. I'd say maybe a sixteenth. Okay, so it's it's uh, fairly minor. It's too yeah. wide to be considered a hairline crack, but it's not uh, something that you're going to have to pour a bunch of concrete in. Right. There are a number of products manufactured by different companies, and you will find some of these at your local hardware store and anyone that sells home uh, supplies, materials, for the most part. But it's a single, it's a, a, a one-tube, so it's a one-component self-leveling sealer for concrete cracks. And the reason I like that is because it seeks its own level in that you don't just put it in and have to trial it down and uh, or chisel things out, but it will seek its own level. It will go to the lowest point, lowest point in that crack, 
And you may have to come back if you've got a deeper area in that crack and refill that. But when it sets up, it sets up like a solid piece of rubber. And uh, you simply come back with a putty knife or a razor knife and you scrape the surface of it off and leave you a good, smooth finish. And all you've done is fill that crack. If you don't fill the cracks in concrete in our patios or walks, what's going to happen? Water's going to get into it. Winter months is going to be detrimental because you're going to have the freeze-thaw effect and it's going to cause it to open up and become even larger. And as the saying goes, the larger it gets, the larger it gets, just because it can. Right. And in the summertime, you're putting water in that will tend to soften the base under that. And I know you said this is a patio, but for those that have the situation in a driveway where you have a load on top of it, your vehicles, then it's going to tend to make that base even softer over time, and it will start to deflect, and you're going to have failure in your concrete above that. So it's always good to pay attention to it. But any self-leveling concrete repair product would be great for that. Quickcrete happens to be one brand that I've used personally on, on a number of cases occasions that does very well. Uh, but quick And that's readily available for the homeowner. There are some commercial products that you have to get at the, the wholesale level, but Quickcrete self-leveling uh, concrete crack repair is one that comes in a tube. You put it in a caulking gun. The only thing I'm going to suggest you do, and they will tell you this in their instructions, is you may take a shop vac and clean all the loose particles out of that crack before you apply this. Yeah. And you come back and just level it off? When you, you, put, you put it in. Actually, we it will tell you we overfill it. You don't want to just fill it level, but we overfill it because it's a very fine material and it will seek its own level. So if you have a, if the crack itself is rather deep, it's going to continue to run maybe for an hour or so down into that crack. And if you overfill it, hopefully it settles to where it's just level or it's above level. So when it cures after 24 to 48 hours, you can come back with your razor knife or scraper and scrape it off just flush with the surface. And all you will see is you will still see the crack, but you're going to see it smooth. And it will expand and contract as the temperature changes with that patio as well. So it's designed not to separate and leave another crack. Jim, thank you. We do appreciate your call. Don't forget, you can always reach Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson at 800-614-2975 or online at KenTheContractor.com. Back with more with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, right after this. Welcome back. This is Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken the Contractor. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can forward your questions to Ken's website. That's KenTheContractor.com. Time now for one-on-one with Ken the Contractor. Each week, Ken brings you information about products and services from companies and experts he interviews during his travels, all to make your life better, provide options, and save money. Our next guest is Tara Murray. Tara comes to us from Benjamin Obdike. Tara, welcome to today's show. Thanks for having me, Ken. Glad you could join us today. What I'd like you to do first, for those that may not be familiar, and sure. tell us a little bit about the company, okay. a little bit of the history. Benjamin Obdike has been in moisture management since 1868. We started in the aluminum corrugated downspout business. That's actually where the name Benjamin Obdike comes from. He was the inventor of the first corrugated downspout. I didn't even know that. That's good to know. <laughs> so we were in the, the metal business for a long time. Uh, and then in the 80s, we got into ridge ventilation products for the 
roof, which are more of a plastic, um, soft-rolled material. So we were the creator of the first rollable ridge vent. After that, we got into some exterior wall products in the 90s. Um, that includes Home Slicker and another product for the roof called Cedar Breather. And those products are really designed to manage moisture in the exterior walls and under the roof. With all of that said, you're introducing something new and something you think is rather unique. Tell us a little about it. We're very excited to introduce a new drainable house wrap product called HydroGap. Tell me about HydroGap. Based on the Hydro, I know what it's talking about, right. and Gap. Tells me there's got to be some separation between water. Explain that to our listeners. You got it. So that's really where we came up with the name, the fact that the product creates a gap. There's a one millimeter plastic spacer adhered to a top quality house wrap product, and that maintains a gap in the wall. So any moisture that works behind your siding system will drain out very efficiently. So it's actually creating an air space. It, it has a means of holding the siding, vinyl or a hardboard, so that it's not in direct contact with the house wrap itself. That's right. That is indeed something fairly unique. But what makes this special from any other drainable product? There, there are a couple of drainable house wraps out there today, um, but ours is really different because we have a full one millimeter space. So some of the others that are out there, they range from a 0.1 millimeter to about a 0.2 millimeter. So from a drainage efficiency standpoint, we have a much greater gap, but still not needing uh, any design changes to the wall system. It still installs like regular house wrap. Okay. Same fasteners, whether it, you're using a screw, a nail, it doesn't make any difference. That's it's right. the same fastener, has the same contact area, but really it's a larger joint. It's exactly. between the vapor barrier and the back of the siding itself. So for those of you that are familiar with air cavities or air spaces between brick and your wall structure, what mm-hmm. this is doing is creating a large, right. get a little more air movement in there for ventilation, you're able to drain the water out. Well, there's actually a difference between, we have a rain screen product as well called Home Slicker. That actually is giving you both the air ventilation and the drainage, whereas a drainable house wrap, it is enough of a space for drainage, but it's not enough of a break that creates pressure equalization that allows the air flow to happen. So okay. that's the main difference between a house wrap and a rain screen. And I know we wanted to talk about that a little bit today. When should you choose one versus the other? Sure. Uh, it depends on what type of cladding you're using. That's the first thing you should ask is, you know, is it a wood system? Is it a fiber cement? Is it vinyl? We recommend the rain screen system as sort of the best practice, especially for the wood cedar shakes and shingles um, or wood plank systems. And also if from a regional standpoint you're in a coastal area, you're in an area with a lot of high wind driven rain, then you want to make sure you're using a rain screen because you're getting the airflow and drying aspect versus a drainable rain screen is sort of the next best alternative if you can't use the rain screen. But both are available and they're available everywhere. So how do builders that may not be familiar with these two products Mm -hmm. go about finding more information on the products, and then how do they investigate pricing? Uh, so we have a um, distribution network that sells to uh, lumber dealers. So you should be able to go into your local l- lumber yard and find these products. They have access to them. Um, we also deal with one-step roofing and siding distributors. So uh, where you'd be getting your siding, you could also get the product there. And if there's ever any trouble finding the product, you can always call us, and we will find a distributor for you. And I know you have a website as That's well. Right. So website addresses www.benjaminobdike.com. All right, so keep that in mind. If you're not sure which of these products you want to be using, that's the place you can give it to a great deal of preliminary information. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, you can pick the phone up and make the call if you need a lot of technical information besides that. That's right. Now, what other products did you bring? Well, we are showing the rain screen product. Um, so we're showing sort of our better and best situations for the wall system and helping people decide what's going to work for them. We also have a line of ridge ventilation product. We have a roll vent, the rapid ridge product, which is a nail gun 
preventable version of the roll vent. Oh, we love that. <laughs> Quick and simple. Quick Put and it easy. down and keep moving. Good watertight products. That's right. The underlayment product that creates the same concept as the rain screen on the wall, but under uh, your cedar shakes and shingles on the roof. So that's called Cedar Breather. Okay, now I, I do have to go back and ask a question that I don't always ask, but that has to do with pricing in general. Right. When we talk about the drainable house wrap that mm-hmm. you're introducing here, yep. how is that going to compare with other products that advertise to be a drainable, drainable. house wrap as yep. well? Well, HydroGap is priced in line with the other premium brands that are out there, but we're talking about 17 to 19 cents a square foot. So depending on what your roll size are, some of the um, the others that are out there have different roll sizes. So we, we like to say keep it to a square foot, apples to apples. Not per roll, for I agree. Right, exactly. And is this available in different size rolls, both width as well as the lineal footage on the roll? We are launching with a 5-foot by 100-foot rolls. Uh, you're getting 500 square feet of coverage on that roll. Hopefully this takes off well, and we'll be looking at a 9-foot and a 3-foot as well. But the 5-foot roll makes it a little bit easier to handle. You've typically got one lap. That's all as you move all the way around the outside of most homes, and that allows you to go up to at least a 9-foot plate height and maybe a little more depending on that lap, yep. which I assume is recommended to be probably in a 3- to 6-inch range. Yep. Exactly. Anything else you want to talk to us about? I think that pretty much sums up HydroGap. It has great tear strength also. So if you're looking at, from a cost-saving standpoint, um, not having to use cap nails or tape because it, it'll stay on the wall without that, um, that is also a cost-savings benefit Well, well of that's a key to builders. That's certainly right. something to know about. It's a labor-saving item. Mm-hmm. What happens is there's actually a... Water holdout film is sandwiched in between two non-woven layers. It protects that water holdout as you're installing. All right, so for all of you builders listening to us out there today, it's still labor savings, goes up a little bit quicker, only one horizontal joint, shorter rolls. So it sounds like this is the product that will work for all of us. Absolutely. Tara, I appreciate you being with us today. Great information. And one more time, the website. BenjaminObdike.com. All right, so that's where you can get all the answers that we weren't able to discuss today. More technical data at the website. We appreciate you joining us, and we'll look forward to seeing more about the product as it progresses and works its way through the industry. Great. Thanks so much. And that's this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken the Contractor. As Ken brings you information about products and services from companies and experts he interviews during his travels and to make your life better, provide opinions, options, and also give you a chance to save money. Don't forget, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or forward questions through his website, KenTheContractor.com. You know, Benjamin Updike happens to be one of the companies that produces products in America. They've been here for over a 100 years, as Tara was saying. But there's so many other companies that produce products from coast to coast in this nation that employ American workers and help fuel your local economy as well as the national economy. And we do our best to buy products that are made in America, and I want to encourage each of you to do the same thing. In most cases, you just need to look for that American flag posted on the box. Many of them are proud to tell you it's made in America, but do your part and let's keep the economy rolling. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. He's here to help you with that home improvement project around your house or simply to answer a question about your home inside or out. Don't forget, there's a very valuable source of information on the web online. That's Ken's website, KenTheContractor.com. You can also go to that website and hear audio podcasts of recent programs. Our contact number again, 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. 
Well, welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can forward him questions through the website, KenTheContractor.com. And we've got a couple of those questions from the website coming up in just a moment. But first, time for us to bring you in the news. Each week, Ken brings you products, trends, and services that are important for you to make informed decisions about your home maintenance, remodeling, and also new construction. This week in the news, Air King, which is a ventilation products manufacturer known to many of you. If you look up on that ceiling fan, you're going to see their name or their label on that, even in your bathroom. But Air King has announced a new release, a product, a fan, an exhaust fan that operates based on humidity rather than temperature. We've all been exposed to those for a number of years that come off and on based on the temperature setting in our attic or perhaps in a garage or other rooms. But this one deals strictly with humidity. And the reason this is important is because so many of you contact me regarding problems in areas like your basement where you have high humidity levels and you want to know, how do I deal with this? How can I keep airflow down here to reduce the mold and mildew? This new humidity-sensing exhaust fan are available in both single and dual-speed models with a maximum speed of 80 or 130 CFM, depending on whether they are single or dual speed. They have an ultra-low sound level, and they're very energy efficient in terms of their operation. They are operated strictly by sensing the humidity and will exhaust this to the outside. So this is designed to be a ducted system. It's not a ductless system, and you wouldn't expect that anyway since you're trying to remove humidity to the exterior. The humidity sensing fan provides, you know, ventilation in areas, as I mentioned. I think about garages that may have moisture issues, especially those that are partially below grade. Basements, in some cases, we've got closets and other areas that just have poor circulation that may accumulate humidity, especially if you're listening to us in a coastal zone where you have hot, humid summers. This fan could be a natural for you. We can go one step further and say it will work quite well for you as well in the bathrooms if you've got an awful lot of steam that you're just trying to dissipate or get rid of or you're worried about kids leaving fans on and not turning them off. This one is fully automated. So I advise you, if you're interested in this, you happen to have a moisture problem somewhere, think about Air King and their new humidity-sensing exhaust fan. Very good. Don't forget the contact number to reach Ken is 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Let's go to the phone lines right now, and it's Lynn who joins us. Hi, Lynn. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Yes. I have a question. Um, We built our home eight years ago, and um, we had hired someone that wasn't exactly a um, professional sort of an amateur, we were trying to save some money to do tiling on our kitchen floor. Okay. And now eight years later, we have quite a number of cracked tiles. Okay. And we had to raise the, we raised the floor because the, it, it, the rest of the floor off the kitchen is um, wood laminate. So we had to raise the floor to put the tile on. And so now we're thinking of just replacing the ones that have cracked but we're not sure if it's the floor that's bad or if the guy just didn't do a good job. If the tiles are in a consistent area, if they're all together, it it may well be a soft spot in the floor. But if they're random, meaning you've got one in one part of the kitchen or the the room and, and you go over three or four feet and you have another one, it may simply be that there was not enough adhesive or mastic on the back of those particular tiles 
and they remained hollow in the middle with mastic on the outside. In other words, if there was an impact or a step, it could have cracked the tile. Okay. They are kind of random. Okay, so that may mean that there was not enough adhesive placed on the back of them. I've seen that happen when those tiles have been pulled up and replaced. In that case, if you have some spare tiles, you might want to pop those out, see if the adhesive was solid on the back, and then put a, you know, put it back down properly and regrout it, and you might be fine. But anytime you see a large grouping, that generally means there's some movement between floor joists if this is on wood, or even if it's on concrete, that there was a high spot somewhere and they didn't properly fill the low area in. Okay. So it should give you a little clue. Okay. I appreciate that. Thank, Thank you. you for the call. Thank you, Lynn. We do appreciate it. Don't forget, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or send questions to his website. We've got some of those mailbag questions now from KenTheContractor.com. Well, Larry L. out of Western Virginia writes to us today with a problem that many of you are dealing with, based on my emails anyway, and that has to do with pressure-treated wood, twisting, warping, and fence issues. He says, how can I tell if a pressure-treated post is going to warp after installation? Now, that's an, the unusual side of the question. Said so I'm having fits with a fence job that I'm doing. Well, first, Larry, let me suggest to you, it's partially it's going to depend on the quality of the pressure-treated material that you are using. And some pressure-treated material, probably what most of us are accustomed to picking up, is going to have a high moisture content in it, perhaps 25 to 30%. Because pressure-treated materials are made just that way. They are submerged in vats of water with chemicals that's injected through pressure into the exterior, the outer skin of that particular timber or member. And if you're using a product that has come recently from that vat, that moisture content is so high that when you lay it on the ground, if it's not stacked properly, you put it out in the sun, it's going to have a greater tendency to twist and warp and split. So my suggestion to you, and many of the professional fence installers will do this, they are buying a pressure-treated product that has been dried. Most lumber is kiln-dried in the first place. But once pressure-treated material has been treated, it can be dried, and there are manufacturers that will do so. Now, you're going to pay more money for this dried material, but what you're going to get is a product that is less likely, no guarantees, but less likely to twist and warp on you once you install a fence post or some that's more common than the post, will be the two-by-fours that are typically used as the horizontal runners that support the fence boards. So think a little bit about the material in advance. The other thing that I would tell you, Larry, as well as everyone else, regarding pressure-treated material, all lumber is, is going to be the same, but especially pressure-treated material, when you receive it on site, don't just let them dump it off the truck and leave it. You want to stack it. You want to stack it tightly. You want it to be adjacent to the the next piece of lumber. You want lumber on top of it. If you leave a piece even overhanging a few feet, the boards below it, it's going to have a tendency to start twisting or to start warping on you. Lumber is soft material to some extent, and under its own weight, it's going to settle and find a way that it becomes happy. And if that means it's in a U-shape, that's where it's going to be. So for any lumber, but especially pressure-treated, you want to receive it at your site. You want to properly store it. Pressure-treated materials, you may want to put a tarp over the top of it if you're going to have it on the ground for a few days. If this is a kiln-dried product and you want to reduce the moisture, you're anticipating morning dew or rain, keep the moisture directly off of it until you install it. And you're saying, well, what happens then? Why doesn't it twist or warp? Once lumber is installed and it's properly fastened, it is less likely to twist and warp. Deck boards especially 
handrail materials, independent pieces like a fence post that may be projecting six feet above grade can still twist or warp, but they're not as likely to do so once you've tied off uh, pieces of, of your horizontal members to that. So think about how you're using the material. Sometimes it's more about the use than it is about the product. And I think if you'll follow that, Larry, you'll find you have a little better results. And if you've got a fence question, we encourage you to go to our website, KenTheContractor.com. One of the most searched topics on our website are questions about fences and fencing. And you can find all that online at Ken's website, and that's KenTheContractor.com. That'll wrap up another hour of Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken the Contractor. You can join us each weekend right here on the radio. If you've got a question for Ken, don't forget you can always reach him at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or if you're shy and don't want to be on the radio but you'd like to forward a question to Ken, you can do that through our website. You can go online to KenTheContractor.com. That's KenTheContractor.com. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com.